This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I think the boys have uh, done a great achievement. I think, you know, where we were earlier on in the season to uh, to end up third is fantastic by them. They've uh, taken on board so many things, uh, had uh, our ups and downs, and uh, it's uh, last, last game, and I've got to say it's... Uh, it's a wonderful achievement by everyone. Now, for this team, it's uh, of course it means uh, better opposition next year and uh, bigger games, and we need to step it up definitely because that means <laughs> every midweek uh, when we have Champions League, uh, you've got to go with your uh, best team. It's not like this season we've had Europa League where, where we could have rested players and given amount of minutes for. Uh, for young lads uh, now we've, we've got to go for every game so that's another stepping stone for these you've got to go and get fitter and stronger and more robust On the Ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9 A delighted Ole Gunnar Solskjaer speaking after Man United achieved third yes the EPL season is finally over. What, 12-month season? Has there ever been anything that long? Ever, ever, ever. Uh, tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Uh, let me say good evening to the guys. Hello to Bob Holmes. Hello, and it doesn't seem long, does it, before the next one? And uh, we've still got lots more football, so... It's certainly not hello and goodbye. No, it's great, isn't it? Hello to Arvin Sidhu as well. Hello, everyone. Uh, Project Restart has worked well, I have to say. Of course you do. You're a Leeds United fan. And Kishnan, I know, is a happy man this morning. Kish, hello. Hi, Ross. Really, really, really excited for Tuesday and Wednesday nights back at Old Trafford again. Yeah, of course, when I say this morning, I mean this evening. Uh, forgive my, uh, yeah, it's it's all a bit of a blur at the moment. But yeah, let's talk about match day 38 then. And, and the, I guess the biggest game with the most riding on it going into the final weekend of the season was the one from the King Power Stadium. Leicester nil, Man United 2. Uh, that foul on, on Anthony Martial was Man United's 14th penalty of the season it's the most of of any side uh was there bias was it justified bob holmes i think it was a penalty yes uh it probably from both players i think they if, if they'd not given it for one player um they would have given it to the other um the remarkable thing about the united getting the 14 penalties is of course that alex ferguson is no longer manager I mean, if this had anything to do with it. But um, no, there was Ollie sitting up in the stand, not interfering much at all, uh, not even with tactics, um, just taking it all in. But I think uh, inside he must have been churning. Because really, Leicester had the better of the game, didn't they? I thought um, they lost it rather than United winning it. Um, uh, they went into the game with four uh, big uh, men missing, particularly Madison. I think they've missed his creativity uh, in the later stages of the season. And um, I thought they did pretty well. Some of the younger guys showed up very well, especially Chowdhury. And uh, they were a bit unlucky, I thought. They hit the woodwork. They they missed two or three guilt-edged chances. And, and then, of course, there was the cock-up at the end with Casper uh, Schmeichel, uh, handing United the absolute clincher. 
Um, and uh, they'll be kicking themselves. They had a 14-point lead on United at one stage of the season. So don't want to take anything away from United. Solskjaer did well to steer them through this. But I, for me, it was more a case of Leicester losing it rather than United winning it. I understand there was a gentleman in the UK who put a £3.30 bet on Jesse Lingard not having an assist or a goal this season. He would have won something like £140. So not bad for a £3.30 investment. But Arvin, that didn't happen. Jay Ling's got the goal. Um, whether it was justified or not, I think Bob brought up a lot of valid points. Both teams just look really, really tired. It's been a, a long project restart. Ten games in, in a month does take its toll on players, doesn't it? It definitely does. Uh, but like what Bob said, at halftime, Leicester would have gone in feeling a bit more happier with how they had performed. They had contained United. They had stopped them on the flanks. So after the first half, you had a feeling that Leicester, if they could just up their game a little bit more, the game was there for the taking, to be very, very honest. Um, the youngsters that came in for Leicester, James Justin, Luke Thomas, they all did really well at the, at the back. Um, Hamza Chowdhury, finally, uh, funnily enough, was the one that had let, uh, given the ball away, trying to outplay him way at the back, and then that's when United Scott uh, got the penalty. So in that sense, um, but Leicester have been on a really poor run, Ross. Uh, I mean, I think it's two wins out of nine since the restart. Before that was six and 22. So when you look at the bigger context, they would have started the season and said, a Europa League spot is an achievement for us. But considering how long they were in that top four spot and to throw it away in the run of form that they've been in, it's been disappointing for them, really. So um, like what I agree completely, I felt, Leicester thrown this away more than United really going and grabbing the brass ring when it comes to this one. Yeah, Keish, 66 points to finish third is actually nothing to shout home about. It's like one of the worst points tallies after 38 games. But this season is such and credit's got to go to the Norwegian man at the wheel, no? No, definitely, Ross. I mean, I, I to me, the, the whole argument about the 66 points, it's it doesn't factor... Um, you know, various other things to consider, like just how incredible the season was this year. You look at the lump of team between third place all the way till eighth or ninth place. Everyone is just separated by a very minimal amount of points. And are you telling me every single one of these teams are bad teams? I mean, it's been extremely competitive. The Premier League is super competitive. Um, it, it's been more competitive. It, it got more competitive over the years. And it's probably uh, a place where it's, it's super difficult to, to gather points. You've got City and Liverpool in a class of their own and sort of everyone else just competing really hard. And the reason I say you cannot use that argument to take anything away from Ole is that he's had a, uh, the, the sort of challenges that he's had this season. He was absolutely destroyed by the press earlier this year when United were, were struggling for points, when things weren't going great. Uh, bear in mind that in January, at one point, the deficit with Leicester United was 14 points. That's a massive amount of gap. And, and, and of course, uh, this whole United getting into third place, partially, it's been down to Leicester bottling it up as well. Yeah. But United can only deal with what's in front of them. And they have really dealt with it. And there's something really fascinating that I want to talk about, right? Which is the fact that everyone criticizes um, uh, United uh, signing Harry Maguire Everyone makes a mockery out of the 80 million that was paid for him. Don't get me wrong, 
values are inherently ambiguous, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, he, he so can't control how much he, he gets. Yeah, he can't control how much he was bought for. But the bottom line is, last season, United conceded 54 goals in the Premier League. This season, they've only conceded 36 goals. That's an improvement, but it's even more of an improvement when you consider the fact that Liverpool conceded 33 goals. Mm. United are three goals more than the defence that has Virgil van Dijk. I'm not saying that Maguire is at the level of van Dijk. But I'm saying that Maguire is not as bad as what social media will make you believe. No, no, I, I, I agree. United's yeah. defense. He's but, obviously an upgrade over every other centre-back at the club. Um, yep. And things have gone much better for United since Maguire coming to the club. And you've got to give credit to Ole for that because every signing that we've made under the Ole era has been a positive signing. You can't look at one and say they've been absolutely disastrous. Whereas mm. under Mourinho, under Louis van Gaal, you have had multiple signings like that. And only so far, every single one of them have contributed in one way or another. Even Danny James. Yeah, I, no, I, none I, more so than the uh, £68 million Portuguese midfielder called Bruno Fernandes. Right, Leicester actually spent 325 days inside the top four, but they finished fifth. Now that must be gutting. Uh, com- feeling completely opposite to gutted is Aston Villa. Uh, it was uh, again. It was it was not the best Villa performance. I understand nerves when they got the better of them, but when they went one up, Bob against West Ham through Jack Grealish, you thought, "Hang on, hang on," and then Im- almost immediately, West Ham hit back with an equaliser. <laughs> yeah, it had the uh, all the hallmarks of a of a final day drama, didn't it? But it didn't quite come up to the experience in midweek in the championship of, uh, of Wacky Wednesday. I don't think we'll ever see anything quite to compare with that. So in that regard, it was a little bit of an anticlimax. Um, but Watford did their best, didn't they? Watford and uh, Bournemouth, they must have really worried Villa. And I think that Dean Smith, when he saw that West Ham equaliser go in, he must have thought, oh, no. you know, and. I was following that game on um, on the uh, BBC uh, internet, watching the United Leicester game, and I saw uh, a, a post saying, "Where's Jack Grealish? Jack Grealish, the star, the the would-be savior of Aston Villa, hasn't turned up." No sooner had I read that than he scores a great goal, which actually saved them. Yeah, but he didn't turn up, you know, until no. then. Um, which is interesting. And Villa Villa didn't really turn up. I mean, they fought really well for the um, post-lockdown period, and my hat goes off to them. But in this particular game, it seemed like it was one game too many. They didn't show a great deal of spark, and they were, uh, they were rather fortunate, I think, to stay up in the circumstances. To, to be fair, um, Villa have been pretty flat all season, Arvin. Do, I mean, do, I mean, okay, great. They've stayed up. There's now a better chance of keeping hold of Jack Grealish for next season. Is that something they really have to do? They have to, but there's a lot of um, sentiment and there's a lot of words out of the Villa fans last night that that was his parting gift to them. His parting gift was keeping them, keeping them up with the goal that he scored. Um, We've talked about how the break has been unkind to certain teams like Leicester, but I felt that the break actually benefited Villa a lot. Uh, Dean Smith had a tough time because actually he lost his dad to COVID-19, but he had come out and said that this was almost a mini pre-season for us, for us to come back 
and work on things on the training ground, come back and implement them on the pitch. And since the break, Villa have actually, and I don't think I would ever have seen say this a whole season, Villa have actually tightened up at the back. They've actually tightened up really well. So when you tighten up your defence at the back, it always gives you a fighting chance. And really, the game that secured, in my opinion, their, their status in the Premier League was that win against Arsenal. When they had got that win against Arsenal, this was pretty much a formality on that final day. So in, in a sense, I think Dean Smith deserves quite a bit of credit because he's come back and he's worked on things and he's figured out the way to do it post-COVID. So credit to them. Uh, it's just Watford and Bournemouth just haven't been, haven't been good enough compared to Villa, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, um, the, the other team playing in Claret and Blue, uh, I know uh, we talk a lot about Aston Villa and their survival, but West Ham uh, got their survival the week before and, and David Moyes takes a lot of flack. Uh, he's not your, your most expansive manager. He's never given a lot of money to spend. But should West Ham now tie him down? Uh, is this the kind of level of manager they, they should be that's going to bring stability to the club? And, and that's what they need. Yeah, I, I understand the desire to want to move away from someone like David Moyes. Uh, I, I've I don't think David Moyes is a bad manager. He says that he's a victim of his own shortcomings or his own reputation over the last uh, decade or so, over the last seven years or so, really. Um, and I've never felt that that would be enough at a club like West Ham who are aiming bigger. You've got a brand new stadium. Um, you, you, you've got expansive players within your team as well, the likes of Yamalenko, Felipe Anderson. And you want to keep your best players like Declan Rice and all these guys. Um, and, and obviously, when you look at, 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 a, at a squad like that, you'd be thinking of, of making a move for, for someone more continental. And they have. And they've, they've, they've struggled. Um, I, I really don't know. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go for the more sensible move of just you know, keeping Moyes in there for at least a year or two while they try to stabilize the squad. Yeah, but the West Ham board and sensible. That's, that's two exactly, different things. Exactly, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 we, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll talk about Brighton a little later, but that, that, that is a club that took a risk as well yeah. by removing this Um And they're, they're reaping the rewards of it. It took them a bit of time. It, they, they struggled bits and pieces throughout the season, but they've recorded their highest ever points in the history of uh, their participation in the Premier League. And, and it's, it's stuff like that that West Ham will try to do, but the club is at a mess, not just within the dressing room, but also at board level. Decisions haven't been great. Signings all over the park. So you've got a bunch of great players uh, not necessarily fitting into a coherent system. At the same time, you've got managers coming in and out. Uh, yeah, it, it's just a bit confusing at West Ham at the moment. And I really am struggling to think how the team can improve further under David Moyes. Mm. But at the same time, I'm also struggling to think which continental manager can come in and instantly improve this side as well? Yeah, Big Sam. Oh, always turn to Big Sam. <laughs> Cont- he said continental manager. <laughs> Big Sam is continental. You asked him, Bob. <laughs> Declan Rice uh, played every single minute of the Premier League season. He becomes only the fourth West Ham player aged 21 years or younger to play every single minute of the season, along with the likes of Gary Kelly, Wayne Bridge and Frankie Lampard. Right, we're off for our first break. Uh, we speak about Frank and Chelsea next. And once more, footballers of all racial backgrounds take a knee to express a united opinion that black lives matter. On the ball on BFM 89.9. We wondered if he'd make a difference. 
Everton. He beats him all ends up, doesn't he? Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, lovely Monday evening with so much to talk about. The final game of the season was played in the English Premier League. And Chelsea sealed fourth place, Arvin, uh, with, with a... Nervy, I guess. 2-0 win over Wolves. Wolves had something to play coming into this one. But we've seen Chelsea under Frank Lampard this season. He's, he's got the balance right, you'd think, with, with, the, with the 33-year-old up front, Giroud, and, and the youngsters like Mason Mount are all, all making a good showing for him. Yeah, the, the two main uh, talking points for me for this game and when they beat Wolves was firstly, Kepa being dropped. Now, this is your most important league game of the season. So much is riding on it. He's chosen to drop the most expensive goalkeeper in the world who's on a 10 million year contract for seven years. Now, Lampard was very brave with this because if it worked well, which it has, he's come out and he's done really well because now they're saying Lampard top four FA Cup final. Great, great outlay for Frank Lampard for the first season. If it didn't work well, and Willy Caballero, who can also drop a clangor or two, then he would have been he would have been slashed in, in, in the media. Now, so Kepa being dropped is a huge statement from Lampard that Kepa is not his um, cup of tea for next season. There's obviously a little bit of a little bit of a power struggle because Peter Cech, who, who works behind the scenes at Chelsea, is a big fan of Kepa. So now Lampard has come out as a sales manager. This is not going to work. Now, secondly, I thought Mason Mount was was just great last night. Was that was a very nice what a free yeah, game. Yeah, that was really that was a really nice video on the Chelsea Twitter account, which showed Mason Mount as a young boy saying, "I'm going to hit a free kick like David Beckham." And the, <laughs> way that, the way that he took that free kick last night was so Beckham esque. So um, Lampard, exciting. Chelsea is the most exciting team I think for next season based on the signings that they've done. But the defense, they, he just needs to get something in that defense to sort it out and tighten it up. Yeah, great. Great, great season for Lampard. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Timo Werner, Bob, was watching in the stands. Hakim Ziyech is going to fly in and join up with the squad soon. But but Arvin did point out, I mean, if, if you're missing Kepa uh, or if you're dropping yeah. Kepa, that's a massive statement. And and assuming you've got to tighten up at the back as well, Chelsea, for next season, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was reckless, actually, I think. I mean, he got away with it. But as uh, Arvin uh, uh, just said, had he not, he would have been absolutely lambasted in the, pre- in the press for that and at the club. I mean, the biggest game of the season, which is what it was. Um, I mean, to do that, it was a marginal call anyway. Kepa has not been making uh, the mistakes that David De Gea has been making. Mm. Um, he's made some good saves in the middle of that. And... Uh, unlike De Gea, who has Romero, a, a very competent understudy who could be put in, uh, Chelsea have Caballero. <laughs> and, I mean, he's a bit of a joke. I mean, he's he's made his name on saving penalties in cup finals. And he's, he's brought clubs a couple of trophies here and there. And he's good at that. But he's a dodgy keeper. I mean, Chelsea fans that I know, their hearts are in their mouths every time a cross comes in. Um, and he's also about 40 years old. Um, and really, there's no future there. So Lampard was clearly stating, I need another goalkeeper yeah. by that move. But to to choose such an important game to make a statement like that was amazing. Well, I he mean, learned the guy that from Jose, like, didn't he? 
Yeah, he doesn't lack courage anyway. You've got, you've got to give him that. Um, no, look at what he said to walls. Klopp. Yeah, 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 standing up to Klopp as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, so you know, he's, he's had uh, Jose as a teacher, though, hasn't he? So um, I think he's, <laughs> he's learned a few lessons from the master. Um, I mean, yes, I think uh, I tend to agree with Roy Keane, who said that uh, Lampard had had a better season than Solskjaer. I, I mean, they've both done well, but I yeah. think I would give it to Lampard on points just because he he has seemed to blend in those youngsters and he's not forgotten the old man Giroud, mm. who was somewhat neglected by his prede- by Lampard's predecessor, Sarri. Hardly got a kick under him, but uh, he's proved his worth um, and a very, very important guy to have coming on. So... Timo Werner must have been wondering where he's going to fit in with all these players. And there's more to come. Yeah. So I would like to have read his mind as he sat there watching that game. <laughs> um, Keish, for, for Wolves, it, it's, well, it's been a season that's lasted over a year. They've still got Europa League to play. Um, I mean, do, do, do you feel for them? Do, do you think maybe... They need a rest, or, or can they push it a bit more? You think? Uh, Wolves are a team that I mean, make no mistakes. I'm a huge fan of Bruno Espirito Santo, but there's only so much you can do uh, with a team that lacks in squad depth to compete with the big boys at the top. If you're expecting Wolves to finish within the range of tenth to seventh every season, he'll get you there with the current squad. They've got enough uh, talented players to be able to do that. But you look at that starting eleven, um, and you're impressed by it. But then you take a glance at the bench and you're thinking to yourself, well, where, where is that depth? Because mm. um, it's just, I mean, it, this, is, this is, but like a couple of weeks ago, I was just on FIFA, just using Wolves for the fun of it. And I'm, think, and I'm just looking at the squad and I'm just thinking to myself, wow, there has to be more here on the bench. Like if you remove your Martinos, your Ruben Neves, who's going to come in and yeah. replicate that job? And I think that's been a problem for them because they play in the Europa League. They started their season earlier than everyone else as well. Um, and it's, it's, it, it just eats into you when, when you're constantly trying to play the same team in the Premier League and remain competent in the Premier League as well. Mm. Um, I don't think the Wolves board will be too disappointed with seven. They'll be praying, fingers crossed now, that, that Chelsea beat Arsenal in the FA Cup final, which will then give Give Wolves them a Europa, Europa League spot. Or well. win the Europa League to qualify for the Champions Yeah, there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's that. Um, with a bit of rest in between now and the Europa League campaign, I think Wolves will be a lot more fun to watch in the Europa League. But they definitely need... If they're going to push the big boys, which I think they're ready to do um, under Nuno Espirito Santo, they've got to just work on the squad depth at the moment because they can really give the big boys a run for their money. All right. Well, Wolves are only the fourth different side to go through an entire Premier League campaign without any English goal scorers. That's excluding own goals. Uh, this follows Fulham <laughs> in 2001-2002, twice in fact, 2005-2006, Arsenal 2006-2007 and Stoke uh, 2015-2016. All right, speaking of Arsenal, uh, they relegated Watford this weekend, uh, 3-2. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with uh, a beautiful overhead kick for his second. Um, Yeah, they they raced a 3-0 lead. Watford tried to rally at the end. Too little, too late. But Watford, Bob, we were saying... If you sack Nigel Pearson with two games to go, kind of everybody, all neutrals, wanted Watford to go down. Yeah, 
Um, absolutely. Uh, they're really the villains of the piece, aren't they? Well, they're the owners. I mean, nothing against the, the club itself, but the owners. Um, I think that's the uh, distinguishing feature. And yet they even, they managed to rally, as you said. And it, well, it took a, a great save by Martinez, yeah. uh, who's really proving his worth, isn't he, at Arsenal, um, to deny Danny Welbeck. Uh, <laughs> Danny Welbeck, who I, I don't think many people realised that he was at Watford <laughs> until he popped up um, a few weeks ago. Even but Arsenal he, Arsenal fans go, oh, yeah, he was an <laughs> Arsenal player as well. <laughs> yeah, and how many remember him at United? Uh, you've, got, you've got to be of a certain age. Um, anyway, well-travelled Danny Welbeck, well-travelled and injury-prone, but... Um, a very popular player never gives up. A now, great now do, Bob, do, do, do you think do you think Watford are in trouble here? Do you think they're one of these yo-yo clubs that are strong enough to come back up again? Well, they are certainly a yo-yo club. Um, I mean, the owners, the Pozzo family, um, they actually owned Udinese in Italy, um, and that was uh, their main club. Watford was was just a, a way to make money out of the out of English football, basically. But then Watford went up, and Udinese f- kind of failed, and uh, Watford became their premier club. So they've invested more in uh, Watford, uh, with you know going for the Premier League riches, hundred million if you go down. Um, but they've gone down. And they won't get that next year. They'll get mm. parachute payments, of course. But I don't think they're nailed on certainties to come back up. No. Um, quite a few of the players have got it in their contract that they can leave. They were smart enough to do that. Well, you would if you were playing for Watford. Wouldn't yeah, you? absolutely. Um, so they are, they are looking at an exodus of players. And they've got some talent there. Um, Ismail Saar, particularly. They yeah. could get a a bundle for him. And I don't think the owners will turn that down. Um, so no, uh, they may struggle and they were heavily dependent on, uh, Foster, another ex United player, um, who's now 37. And had he not, uh, been such a hero, I think they would have been right down there with Norwich. Actually, At least a hundred goals conceded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been man of the match. They've lost five, and he's still been man of the match. Um, right. well, so, uh, no, they uh, they won't come back. Okay. Uh, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal project should be interesting next season. All eyes on that. Staying in North London, Arvin, Jose Mourinho says he intends to get Tottenham back up where they belong. Uh, they ended their season with a 1-1 draw away at Palace. Enough to get Europa League football. And if you look at, uh, we, we've spoken about this before, Mourinho's record since he's joined Spurs has actually been pretty good. Yeah, not spectacular, but effective, I guess. Not spectacular at all in terms of... Well, that's Jose all over these days, that's Jose, right? Yeah, I mean, he, did, he, will come, he will come around and say that he had had a ton, a ton of injuries to deal with. He had injuries to the likes of Kane, Son, Sissoko. He had a whole rush of injuries. But he's come in and delivered, and he will. I won't be surprised if he comes in and said that this has probably been one of his best achievements with the Spurs squad. <laughs> Surprisingly, Rossi has come on and has also said that he accepts that there's not going to be a lot of money for him to spend at yeah. the end of the season. He's not asking for it. Now, that's very, very unlike Jose to say that. 
but it'll be interesting to see what he does this coming um, close season to see what he can do to add to that to the to the to the, to the squad. Um, but Spurs really need to get get a trophy in the cabinet. It's been a while, and Jose was brought in to do that. So he will be focusing next season the FA Cup, the, even the League Cup. Uh, the Europa League will be there for them. The, the league is a bit too far off because they're, they're very far away from the elite of where the, the league uh, teams are right now. And Harry Kane will be their number one priority. How do they convince Harry Kane that this is a project that is going in the right direction and not just going in the right direction, but going fast enough because yeah. time is running out for Kane. He's been very patient with that squad and that team. Uh, so convincing Harry Kane that this is the way that we're doing it and we're going to get there. So that will be priority number one for Jose this summer. All right, brilliant stuff. Uh, another short break. Uh, we're going to wrap up the EPL uh, final day for you next. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Has come up with uh, something beyond the ordinary. That is a brilliantly elastic save. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back talking about the final weekend of the English Premier League season. Bob Holmes, uh, Arvin Sidhu and Kishnan Sundaresan with us. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. So just to wrap up some of the, the EPL results, then Burnley won Brighton to Brighton. Kish recorded their highest Premier League points total. You mentioned them earlier on, taking a bit of a, a, a risk, bringing in the new manager to replace Chris Hewton. It's worked well. You can actually see progressive football from Brighton. They're good to watch. They're fun to watch. They really are. And I think that's what Premier League clubs um, that, that, that you know sort of remain in the lower levels have got to try and do. It may not always work out, right? Like yeah. you run the risk of things falling down. You run the risk of remaining within the relegation zone. But it's something you've got to, you've got to make an attempt to do. Because bear in mind that as much as I love, um, for example, um, Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace, as much as I love his ability to just effectively grind out victories, can I ever imagine a scenario where Crystal Palace break into the top 10 and compete with, with, with the mid-table boys um, and, and probably even push for 8th or 7th in the league with Roy Hodgson? I really can't. And, and you, you, you need someone who is far more progressive, far more analytics data-driven to be able mm. to do something like that. And I think that's what Brighton have got themselves in the form of Graham Potter because the backlash to them sacking Chris Hewton last summer was insane. Yeah. And bear in mind, Chris Hewton wasn't a bad manager either. He had, no. you know, he had, he had secured safety. He was hugely popular amongst the fans. But I think the Brighton board recognized that, okay, we, we've sort of stabilized ourselves in the Premier League. We need someone who's going to sort of just take us one notch above. And, and that's what they got in Graham Potter, a, mm. a man that's, isn't afraid to try out new methods, isn't afraid to experiment with his back line. Earlier in the season, Martin Montoya looked like one of the greatest wingbacks of the whole league. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a grim, it, it, his ability to just experiment and do things, which started out during his stint in Sweden as well. He got Ostersunds to the Europa League, beat yeah, Arsenal happy. as well in the process. Yeah. So you, when you juxtapose Brighton and you compare it to a team like, say for example, Bournemouth, like we're, we're huge fans of Eddie Howe, but He's been at the club for far too long and, and the board just got in this comfort zone where they didn't know whether, you know, Bournemouth should 
keep on with Eddie Howe or should they go on with someone else? And in the end, they just stuck with Eddie Howe and now they've been relegated back into the championship. It's a really frustrating story for me because it's a club that had so much of potential, a club that played so much of good football, but this wasn't brave enough to make that decision to step away from someone and just try something new. Yeah. Um, and, and now they're back in the championship, whereas Brighton have just recorded their, uh, you know, a, a record haul point in, in the Premier League and they're all set for another season again. Yeah. Um, Bournemouth's five-year stay in the Premier League came to an end despite winning at Goodison Park, Bob. Uh, we, we've spoken a bit about Bournemouth. Yeah, good luck to them. Uh, and should Eddie Howe stay, we don't know what we'll see there. But a few words about Everton because... They're a massive work in progress. If, if you look at what Ancelotti has to do, all right, this season was all about finding out players for him. He, he now knows there's a lot of surgery needed at Goodison Park, isn't there, Bob? Well, I don't know about finding out players. I think he's got to find some players now. <laughs> um, it, really, um, I mean, they've had nothing to play for. I think that's been part of it. Um, you know, they were safe even before lockdown. And with no never... fans to drive them on, it's even no. more, isn't it? No, I mean, they, they've got one of the um, noisiest uh, set of fans in, um, in the country. Uh, I mean, they're, they're scousers, aren't they? You know, <laughs> I mean, they're, um, they make a noise at football matches and uh, they really get behind Everton um, through thick and uh, mainly thin. Um, that's been the diet of the last few years. So Ancelotti, if he didn't realize it at the time, he now knows that he's got the biggest challenge of his career. I mean, he's won the Champions League three times. And you wonder, what's he doing at a club like Everton? You know, mid-table mediocrity. I mean, you have to say that. It's cruel, but you know, you can't say anything better. You can't put any gloss on it whatsoever. Lynn got... is at the moment, Bob, poking pins into a voodoo doll, marked Bob uh, Holmes. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't blame her. But, um, <laughs> no, but yeah, that's a fair point you make there. No, um, really? Um, yeah, it's a big coup. Huge, Even she'll admit that. Huge ab- ambitions. They're building a massive stadium. Um, I mean, they've got a rich, uh, super rich owner. And yet, they just can't get results on the field. Now they've got one of the most storied and uh, greatest European managers of modern times. And they're still languishing in mid-table, lower mid-table. And they go and lose at home to Bournemouth. Uh, so where do you begin? I mean, even Pickford, the England goalkeeper. I mean, he's ma- yeah. he was at fault yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's gone off. So... Massive, massive task. I don't know where he starts. I really don't know where to start. Everything I've got to start with Marcel Brands because that's the man that has been responsible for all the signings that they've made as their director of football. And we we have spoken so much about um, how big of a mistake it is Mm. to let your your defenders go and not replace them with credible names earlier this season. Um, How big of a problem it is to let someone like Idrissa Ghana leave yeah. and not be able to replace him in midfield. And in the end, all they did was spend money on Moise Keane, who has struggled to make an impact. It, it was a brave signing and I applauded Marcel Brands for that. But what about 40 million for Alexi Wobi? Yeah. How has that helped the club in any way whatsoever? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Arsenal, Arsenal, but 
you know, they must be laughing at the, at the deal at this point. Forty million for Alex Iwobi, and the guy has barely done anything to improve this Everton squad. This is where you've got to point fingers at at, at, the, at the football directors because it, it, it's it's no by no means a fault of Carlo Ancelotti that he's got this substandard squad of players under him. Yeah. Um, you could you could have blamed uh, Marco Silva and, and all these guys prior to that, but ultimately it's a squad that's got some decent names, but they look disjointed all over the park. Mm. Um, they still haven't replaced that Credibles, you know, twenty goal a season striker in Lukaku. I'm a big fan of Calvin Lewin. I'm a huge fan of Richarlison, but they still don't have that one guy that yeah. Carlo can sort of depend on, you know, up front. And 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 you, they need a huge summer. It's going to be difficult because of the financial implications of COVID nineteen on everyone in world football. But Everton, more than anyone, definitely need a big summer. Okay. Um, elsewhere, um, Man City 5, Norwich nil. A quick word about David Silva, Arvin, uh, making his final bow. And, and what a player. He's been, he's been a joy to watch. The man nicknamed Merlin. I mean, most games for City, most wins, most asses, four Premier League titles. I mean, this 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 is really a, a legend in in his in, in in every sense of the word. Um, I was reading; it was quite nice how uh, Calder Mubarak, the, the the guy who runs City, called up David Silva and said, "You are probably the legend that we're going to miss the most and have the most challenge in replacing." And keep in mind, this is a City team who has had Joe Hart, Pablo Zabaleta, Yaya Toure, even Vincent Company. I would mm. put David Silva about those names because this was a guy who was never blessed with a lot of a lot of pace he was never very explosive but the footballing mind on david silva is it's incredible and i think pep will miss working with him but the good thing is that uh when you have the likes of phil forden and the youngsters in the city city dressing room learning and absorbing of david silva it can be only a good thing but the premier league has lost truly one of the one of its greatest players in my view Real top-class act. Yeah, uh, and in typical Kevin De Bruyne fashion, he didn't allow David Silva to star on the day because he took all the accolades, didn't he? KDB, uh, best midfielder. Uh, he's equal Henri's 20 assists this season. Uh, Edison won the Golden Glove ahead of Nick Pope. And, and of course, uh, the Golden Boot was won by Jamie Vardy. Just one goal ahead of uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Liverpool wrap up their season with a 99-point haul. Second highest in top flight history. And that basically is your Premier League season in a nutshell. It's taken a while to complete. There's still the FA Cup next weekend to talk about. There, the playoffs to talk about. In fact, we're going we're gonna to do playoffs next stick with us that's it it's all over this is a big win on the ball on bfm 89.9 a two goal lead a pitch of a goal and that should be job done stay on the ball on bfm 89.9 hey thanks for sticking around kishnan bob and arvind here uh we've talked you through the final day of the uh epl season now Four clubs vying for one spot uh, in, the, in the EPL for next season to follow Leeds United and West Brom up. Uh, are the four clubs involved in the championship playoff? Sunday night or early Monday morning, it was Swansea 1, Brentford 0, Bob Holmes. Andre Ayew with, uh, I think, his 16th goal of the season, which is 
quite prolific. Uh, but yeah, Swansea came out of nowhere. Uh, they had a, they've got momentum. They played really well in the run-in, and, and they're there. They've beaten Brentford, who were, I guess, one of the favourites to go up not too long ago. Uh, yeah, uh, although Brentford have a reputation for um, cocking it up. Uh, almost as big as uh, my own Nottingham Forest. <laughs> um, they, uh, they've threatened before, and they had a chance to make it automatic a couple of weeks ago. They spurned that, and now they've got to come from behind to beat the, the club that only just snuck into the playoffs um, through an incredible set of circumstances last week. But yet again... It's the sixth place team that has the momentum. This has happened time and time again in uh, not just the championship, but in uh, other leagues as well. It does seem that when it comes to the playoffs, momentum is probably the most important ingredient. And if you can carry that through, you've only got three games. You've got the two semifinals and the final. And even a sort of average side, if they're on a bit of a roll, they can sometimes lift themselves and and sneak through. And and Swansea are quite capable of doing that. Um, not knocking them. They've got some good players. Rian Brewster, yeah. um, who was the um, a star. World Cup of, winner. No, no, no. Yep, for England under-17s a couple of years ago. Great things were expected of him. Jurgen Klopp even added him to the first-team squad. But unfortunately, he had a serious injury and lost a year of, of playing at a crucial time. But he's coming back. It's great to see him coming back, banging in the goals for Swansea. Yeah. So um, he could well find himself in, in the Liverpool squad next season uh, rather than the, squ- the uh, Swansea squad. Um, yeah, uh, Brentford have been a class above Swansea. Let's not forget that through most of this season. But you wouldn't put your house on them overturning this one-goal deficit with the way Swansea are playing and the momentum that they have got. And then, of course, you've got the other game, uh, Cardiff and Fulham, who play tonight. But uh, Fulham and Brentford did look a class above anybody else in that division, mm. apart from the top two, of course. Yeah. So they were the favourites, and it was expected they were expected to make the final. But it's looking uh, a little bit unlikely right now. It could even be an all-Welsh final. It, it could. It could. So, yeah, um, Swansea with one goal to, to defend. Uh, in, in the other uh, playoff semi-final, Cardiff versus Fulham. Keish, uh, for, for Cardiff, I guess what they've got to do is simple. You've got to keep the league's top scorer, Mitrovic, quiet. And then you have a chance. Oh, you make it sound like it's an easy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, there are certain players that you look at them and you immediately think, this guy is a championship player. And I don't say that in a bad thing. I just say that from the point of view of how rough and gritty the championship is. Yeah. And Mitrovic seems like the perfect player for an environment like that. You know, he's so difficult to, 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 to defend against. He's very rough, aggressive. He, you know, holds himself really well against some of the bigger defenders in the championship as well. Um, and, and you know, Fulham have reaped the benefits of having him up front in a division like the Championship. Um, no, but I, I agree with you, Ross. I think when it comes to the playoffs, it, it can sometimes be all about um, momentum. Um, and, and at this stage, it's just 
it, it's super difficult to look at Iskari full half tie and, and look at it on paper and evaluate who's going to do better. Because in, in a game like this, it, it just completely boils down to momentum. And either side could have the momentum at this moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they've, done, they've done well, uh, Cardiff. Uh, Ex-Millwall uh, boss Neil Harris has come in, uh, taken over from Neil Warner. I think he was, they were 14th. Uh, when, when Harris came in, uh, they've lost only three times at home in the championship all season. And, and that's how you, you, you build successful runs. You, you, you make your home a fortress. It's a 2.45 a.m. kickoff, Cardiff versus Fulham. That's uh, early tomorrow morning. Uh, they play the second legs in midweek. We'll tell you about them next week. But uh, good to see. I mean, I'm going to come to you now, Arvid. Uh, your, your team won the championship. Leeds United, of course. Uh, you're happy they're up. You, you're not involved in the playoffs. Now, give us a, a fair assessment of what needs to be done for next season. I understand keeping BLs has got to be first uh, and first and foremost. Because I read this weekend, Lionel Messi said, let's get Bielsa in for, for Barcelona. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's priority number one. Surprisingly, I've read a, a tweet uh, from an Argentinian um, Argentinian paper that's come out and said that Bielsa has agreed to a one-year extension with Leeds. I think the, the the Messi story has come from less reliable sources like the Sun and Daily Mail. I wouldn't put too much of weight into those. Um, Bielsa has shown his commitment. He was at Goodison Park last night. Uh, clearly, clearly scouting for players, probably from Bournemouth, because there'll be a couple of those that you can pick up for the, for the team that's, that's gone down. Uh, but yeah, Leeds, Leeds have done really well this season. I mean, uh, not waxing lyrical or not trying to keep, uh, keep, keep it back, but they are top in every step. Best defence, most wins, most points, most clean sheets in Europe. Bielsa has figured out a way how to tighten them up at the back. And he's got them mentally strong because for anything that Leeds have had the challenge for the last 16 years, it's the mental aspect of being a one-city club has put a lot of pressure on the team and on the players. Uh, priority number two for Leeds would be Ben White, which is going to be a, a big struggle because Brighton want to keep him. He has been, in my view, the best defender in the championship. Mm. He could play, in my view, for any of the top six clubs in England. He is such a young and good promising prospect for England. And really, from then on, it's a couple of things that you need to do with the squad. Adding another striker. Me and Keish have talked about Patrick Bamford for for, for longer so bit of debates. <laughs> exactly. And getting someone to be that successor for Pablo Hernandez. Because if anyone brought Leeds over the line after the lockdown, it was Pablo Hernandez. So they've talked about Emilia Bundia from, from Norwich, who's a, who's, a, who's a good player, is enterprising. But could he fit Pablo Hernandez's shoes? I don't think so. So it's exciting times and really the, the club has got the Adidas deal that's come in for five years. So it's all looking good right now and it'll be an exciting summer of planning. I feel for Ratziani and Bielsa, at least. All right. Do, do, you know, do you know, just one thing, Ross, do you know who I think would really fit Bielsa's team at the moment from the Premier League? Go on. Uh, Todd Cantwell from Norwich. Mm. I think he works his socks off. He's really, really exciting to watch um, and he would give the sort of penetration that Leeds would need um, in, in the Premier League, he'd be a great signing for Leeds. Right? Get uh, I hear Bielsa. Yeah, Bielsa's high on Josh King at, at Bournemouth as well. So that that was someone that he was looking at last night. So let's see. There'll be a couple of those relegated teams that we could look at some players from. All right, Arvind, uh, just like to ask you. I mean, do you have much money to spend? 
Radziani is a, he's a wealthy bloke, isn't he? But how much he's is wealthy. he going to put in? Uh, you know, is he mega wealthy? He's come out. I mean, there was a there was a press conference the moment that they got they got promoted, and they really asked him what was the ambitions of the club, and he had said that I'm going to invest. Surprisingly, he gave a cheeky cheeky comment and said I'm prepared to break the Leeds transfer record, which surprisingly sits at Rio Ferdinand at 18 million, which was so many years ago when we bought him <laughs> from West Ham. So I, I believe there will be more investment from Leeds, not crazy investment like Villa type. He's talked about the Sheffield United model really getting value for your money. So there will be investment, but not at crazy amounts in my view. All right. that That's pretty much it. Uh, just enough time for me to mention that Juve have picked up their ninth successive Serie R title. Cristiano Ronaldo scored 31 goals this season. Missed the penalty. Could have been 32. He's chasing Chiro Immobile's 34. Two rounds left in the Serie R and, and we'll, we'll probably cover that in, in next Monday's show. For now, though, we're done. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, it's been a great EPL season uh, for, for tonight. And for now, let me say thanks to Kishnan. Cheers, Ross. Uh, thanks to Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody. And thanks to Arvin. Thank you, everyone. 45 more days to the next kickoff of the league season. I know. Isn't <laughs> it great? Have a great week, everybody. See you next Monday. Bye-bye. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.